Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're wrapping up our month of puddings and custards with another classic favorite, creme brulee. Is there anything better? We're also sharing some of our TNT, that's tried and true, standbys, recipes that never let us down. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, you know that I'm rarely at a loss for words in the kitchen or out of the kitchen, yet I tried something this week that this is the best I could do. Oh. Yeah, that's all I could say. I made an aquafaba pavlova. You know, a couple episodes ago, we talked about aquafaba, which is a meringue made from the juice of chickpeas, and it was just so bizarre, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And this is totally me, that once I know something like that, what am I doing? I'm like, I open up a couple can of chickpeas for a recipe, and then I'm as I'm pouring it, I'm like, uh-oh, I know I shouldn't throw this away now, and then I I, I can't get it out of my mind, so... I looked online and there's just tons and tons of aquafaba recipes. And the astonishing thing is that it acted and tasted exactly like meringue. I still don't know how this is possible. So I had three cans of chickpeas. I drained it all off. It was probably, it was a lot of juice. It was like maybe two cups of juice. And I just thought that's just much too much. Um, So I drained off probably a can's worth. Mm -hmm. I whipped it up in my KitchenAid. It whipped up gorgeous. Just the juice. Just the juice. Okay. You, I whipped it up in the KitchenAid with my whisk attachment, added some confectioner's sugar, vanilla, vinegar, and cornstarch. So I just kind of followed a traditional um, meringue. Okay. And then you uh, – meringue, you um, spread out spread out the goo in your um, – <laughs> on a piece of parchment-lined baking sheet, and you bake it very low for about an hour. But then what you do is you leave it in the oven overnight. You turn the oven off, and you leave it there. And, oh, fun. Um, Pavlova is um, an Australian or a New Zealand dessert that was named after the ballerina um, oh, Anna yeah. Pavlova and um, kind of a national dessert in that part of the world. But I'd never made one. And this aquafaba pavlova, it just like almost overtook my oven. <laughs> Oh, it puffed up? Oh, like, my God. Spread it was out. like a, both. It was just this huge, huge, like, and it's what it ends up being is kind of like a homemade marshmallow. It gets oh. really crispy on the top, and then the inside is kind of gooey, and then the bottom is almost like caramely, and it was delicious. And the uh, the only, how do I put this, the only thing delicately I can say is, you know, you're eating beans, and so <laughs> eating bean juice eating bean juice. But Mm -hmm. I also felt like, you know, it was that sneaky nutrition. We've talked before about like putting your beets in your chocolate Mm -hmm. cake or or that type of thing. So my kids had no idea what I had made it with and they thought it was great. It's it's also just kind of fun and it it crackles and it it's it's just really interesting looking. So now I know that I'm going to have a really hard time throwing away my chickpea goo. Um, I will put a link 
to the the recipe that I kind of created up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. It's definitely worth a try. And, you know, the recipe that we did this week was the banana pudding and it had a meringue topping. So, um, you know, if, if you want to give it a try for this or uh, something else that is topped with meringue, I think it's definitely worth a try. Really weird, really interesting. And I was a, a loss for words. So that's that's a new new thing. (laughs) Well, you are much braver than I am because I did make some hummus this week and I opened my first can of chickpeas and as I was draining it just straight down the, um, you know, sink. Yes. (laughs) I remember thinking to myself, oh, I should save this and try and make something for that thing Stefan was talking about. And I just couldn't bring myself to do it because there's just something slightly off-putting about, you know, bean juice to me. I mean, absolutely. not even as a as a sweetness, but even as a savory. Like if you said, oh, if you, you know, put a teaspoon in salad dressing or something, I still might be kind of like, oh, I'm not really sure. But now that you've tested it out, I might try it. I'm feeling like a little more comfort because you said it definitely works and you didn't taste anything beany. I mean, it's hard to know entirely, right? I would probably have to taste test it right next to a traditional meringue. But since I I didn't have that, and then I topped it with whipping cream and fresh fruit. And, you know, I I mean, I really, I really couldn't tell. And it was so, I I get such a thrill. I know we've talked with our Facebook friends and and other folks um, about using up bananas or or these things that even that rice pudding that we did this month with the with the leftover rice, you know, I get such a thrill out of of making something from nothing, you know? Um, Yeah. So at any rate, yeah, yeah, worth a a try. Thank you. I appreciate you doing that. And uh, yeah, listeners, if you guys try out any aquafaba recipes, let us know because we're fascinated by this. So in some more traditional recipes, I just have found a few I wanted to talk about while it's still Puddings and Custards Month. And the first, you know I love my presidential history. And this first one is called an Ozark pudding. And it was one of um, Harry Truman's favorite recipes. And he is from Missouri, of course. And this, I have not made an Ozark pudding, but it's another one of those um, desserts you put in a skillet, Andrea, which you had better success than I last Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But this is really... Really straightforward. It's some uh, butter, flour, baking powder. You know what? It almost reminds me of what's that called? Like a um, a Dutch baby, or yes. a, kind of like one of those like oven pancakes. And then mm-hmm. you put in some apples and blackberries and pecans, and then Ooh. it kind of puffs up around the fruit. It looks really pretty. It looks super easy. So I might try that one. I. But what makes it a pudding? I mean, it sounds almost more like a a crumble, or because it looks. I mean, the picture. Yeah, right. It does look like more like a cobbler or something like yeah. that, maybe. But the the picture itself looks like a bread pudding, like how it's oh, puffed okay. up, oh, like how okay. it's puffed up all around there. So, okay. um, and actually, now I'm reading the note. It says, although not technically a pudding, this simple dessert gets its name from the Ozark region in the Midwest where it originated. Oh, As okay. it bakes, the nut and apple filled batter forms a crisp cookie crust over a gooey pecan pie like filling. Oh, okay. I'm in. I yes, and you know, I went to college in Missouri, and many of my best friends are still back there. So I'm willing to to give that a try for the Show Me State. <laughs> the next one is another rice pudding for the slow cooker, but this caught my eye because you had used coconut milk mm-hmm. in your variation, and this actually calls for coconut milk. So it is oh, a okay. caramel ginger wild rice pudding. Ooh. Wild rice is among one of my most favorite things to eat. The bonus here, too, is that you do not cook any of the rice that's called for. So you're 
one step even easier than the recipe we had talked about. Then you're using some grated ginger, ground ginger, and chopped crystallized ginger. And they say also it'd be great with purchased caramel sauce drizzled on top, which if you still have any of Cloda's whiskey (laughs) caramel sauce, maybe a good application for that. And then finally... Yeah, go ahead. You said, that, you said that one was in the slow cooker, too? It is. It yeah, is. That's nice. So yeah. that's why you don't have to cook the rice, because the rice is actually cooking in there. Okay. It is. Okay, cool. And then finally, we had been talking on our Facebook page about, um, do you use your slow cooker? Have you made desserts in it? And one that I was talking about with Jocelyn, listener Jocelyn, um, was a slow cooker buttermilk cheesecake. I found it in um, an issue of Red Book recently, and it's from Carla Hall. And I don't have a lot of experience with her recipes, but I know she's on that um, show the chew. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And so indeed it, I was kind of wondering out loud on Facebook, like, how does this work? Like, doesn't the crust get all like, yeah. soggy? And so uh, Jocelyn had suggested that you make a water bath and that is exactly. Okay. So you have a small springform pan and you kind of coat it in tin foil and then pour in a little. Water. Okay. Um, I don't have a small springform pan, so I have to debate how to, how to make that. Um, yeah. But I do like the kind of miniature size and also that it's in the slow cooker. It seems like, you know, perfect. Yeah, I like that too. Although I have learned not to go rogue on cheesecake and think that you can not use a springform pan. <laughs> I know, um, but six you, inch would be tiny, tiny, wouldn't it? I mean, I think mine is probably like a 10 or a 12 inch. It is, but I bet you could pick one up at the Goodwill or a thrift store. Always worth a try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, Andrea... What's what's going on? We are going to talk about some uh, banana pudding. Yeah. So um, our recipe we introduced last week, homemade southern banana pudding. And this comes from Angie over at the blog Big Bear's Wife. And uh, we made this this week. And uh, Stefan, you had given us a, a couple of nice heads up on making sure we didn't um, burn our meringue. So thanks for the heads up on that. Yes. I, <laughs> I yes. watched mine very closely. Um, and you also had mentioned that this roast bananas. And so I was kind of, I was interested in that because you said you had roasted bananas for another recipe as well. I have never roasted bananas before other, I mean, I've, I've cooked bananas like, um, for bananas foster, which is a, you know, famous dessert in New Orleans, but I've never roasted bananas in their peels. I found, and even though this recipe is very specific, so in the ingredient line, it says five medium bananas, peel them after you roast them and before you slice them. And then in in the instructions, it says, place unpeeled bananas on a baking sheet and bake for 10 minutes. I still had to text you and say, (laughs) "Um, just concerned that there's some sort of typo here. Am I putting unpeeled bananas in the oven? Which you wrote, yes. (laughs) And they done that before. I have. Yeah, we do this kind of... um, uh, what would you call it? It's a it's a bit of a cheat homemade ice cream. You take just a high quality vanilla ice cream and then you mix in roasted bananas. Okay. And it's really good. And so we've been doing that for several years. But the first time I did it, um, you know, bakers, the bananas will turn like a charred charcoal black and it looks really alarming. Yeah. But the roasting flavor and the smell will kind of fill your home and it's it's great. Um I think it's important here to not do a banana that's too ripe. I kind of went with a medium ripe, like a little few little brown spots, but nothing like I would make banana bread with. And I like to have that 
still a little bit firmness because the roasting does cook it a little bit. Um, I thought it was a really unique way to add even more flavor to the banana here in this recipe. Yeah, I thought it was neat um, once I relaxed and realized I was really supposed to be doing it. I also wondered if um, people – it might be a handy shortcut for people like me that I – the day I went to buy my bananas and make this, they didn't have any ripe bananas or even slightly ripe. I mean, they were – you know. You know how they're almost even green? Oh, yeah. They can um, be like chartreuse almost. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I got the ones that were as ripe as possible, but they still, like, I would have waited another day or two before eating them. So I feel like the roasting maybe got them a little more to the ripened state. So I was actually happy that step was in there. Yeah, good point. But I did not make any changes to the recipe. I um, use the ingredients as specified. Um, She does say about 50 vanilla wafer cookies. And I didn't use the store brand vanilla wafer that I grew up with because, shocker, I could not find them. Um, What? So I don't know what was going on. This is the graham cracker situation all over again. I don't know if I was in the wrong section or what was happening, but I could not find Nilla wafers. And shortly after I left that store, I had to go to um, your favorite, Trader Joe's. And um, they No comment. Yeah. They have a Trader Joe's brand Nilla wafer. So I, I just bought that. And I tried it when I got home. And I have to say, it does not taste like the one I grew up with. So that might have affected my um, final decision on this particular recipe. I did not use the Nilla wafer brand Nilla wafers. Okay. Um, I did. And then just another comment, like it, she says 50 of them. That's So I counted... <laughs> I did too. My box had about Mm -hmm. 70. So, you know, one box is going to do you and you'll have plenty just for for leftovers also. Yeah, I I also um, counted and I I did a little bit of something different. I actually made um, one big serving in the 8x8 pan as the recipe instructs you to. And then I made one small serving in a little ramekin because, you know, I love my little ramekins. Oh, it's so cute. And um, that way I can give away that 8x8 pan (laughs) um, to someone else and then just, you know, still be able to try it out and report back on the results. Yeah, absolutely. Um, At the end of the day, I really liked this recipe. I did make a few little notes along the way. Just I wouldn't call them corrections or changes, really. Just just things that I do when I make a homemade custard or pudding. Oh, and good. So I have questions. Yeah. So in the instructions, um, when you're heating the milk, um, she just says to heat the milk and when it's warm, whisk in the sugar and the eggs, and then just cook it uncovered until thick. But that raised some red flags for me. Um, I warm my milk until tiny bubbles are forming around the edge. And then I do something called tempering the eggs. And and that means that you're adding a little bit of the hot milk to the eggs in little portions. If you add them all in at once, you're going to basically cook your eggs and have scrambled eggs. So I add a little warm milk to my eggs in the bowl, stir it up, add a little bit more warm milk, stir it up. Then when I, you can tell it's incorporating, you're not cooking the eggs, then you mix in the sugar, then put it back in the pan. And I whisk that constantly. I would not walk away at that point. I would not not stir it. Um, I find milk product burns very quickly in a stove pan. Um, She also said it took about 10 minutes. I I think it took me about two to three and I was whisking it constantly. So you're going to know immediately when that thickens up for you because it's pretty dramatic. Um, Those are just 
those are just things that I I do when I'm making any pudding recipe. And so I followed my own practice here. Um, the other is that at the end of cooking a homemade pudding, I always strain it. There's nothing worse in my mind than spending all this time and energy and ingredient on your homemade pudding, and then you get a lump of something. So it takes moments to just push it through a strainer. I always get a few chunks, and I'm happy I did it. So um, did that here again also. Oh, well, that is fascinating. So you and I were on the same page on the tempering. When I saw that instruction, I immediately said, you know, she does not mention tempering, but I am definitely going to do this because I have ruined many a sweet dessert by making scrambled eggs. Yeah, and there's Um, nothing wrong with it. It's just a huge bummer. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Right. Um, But then I read the second step after that one, and it says, you know, cook on medium heat, uncovered until thick. It should take about 10 minutes. And I wrote myself a little note saying stir it or not. So I thought, well, she doesn't say to stir it, but, you know, it's it's milk. It's going to – It's going to scorch. Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't stir it constantly, and I would say that's the one thing I would do differently next time. I only stirred it occasionally, and mine, I think, got thick right around six or seven minutes. And it got to that point where um, it did develop uh, almost a little film on top. And I think that was because I wasn't stirring constantly. And so I was able to blend that in. I didn't think about straining it because mine got so thick. I I don't think I would have been able to push it through my sieve, maybe if I had used like my big colander or something. But um, yeah, and in general, my pudding was more thick than I have seen traditionally in my um, other banana pudding okay. recipes. Okay. And so that kind of brings me to my next um, point that I, you know, as I talked about last episode at the um, Elvis's um, Memphis yeah. restaurant, <laughs> yeah. what I love about banana pudding is how the pudding soaks into those wafers and turns it really spongy and cake-like. And mm-hmm. this set more in layers for me. So I had my layer of the cookie and the banana and then the pudding. And the pudding was was almost like a block. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the meringue topping. And there was it tasted great and there was nothing, you know, wrong with that. But for my personal preference, I prefer it when that pudding is much looser and is mm-hmm. soaking down into um, into the wafers. Mm-hmm. I think also that that recipes I've used have that also have a layer of whipped cream. And so that's kind of helping with that moisture as well. Um, I thought the meringue on top was beautiful and worked really nicely. Um, And then again, we had mentioned last episode to just watch that a little closer. Um, Mine went for two minutes. And I feel like had I left it in for the six in the recipe, it would have gone up in flames. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think um, a quarter cup of cornstarch is actually quite a lot. So I think I'm with you. I might cut back on that next time. Is, Is three tablespoons a quarter cup? I think, I think those are similar. So maybe it's two. four tablespoons in a quarter cup. Okay, so maybe doing three tablespoons instead of a quarter cup um, might be a way to change it. And then I am convinced that my recipe that I grew up with eating, which I can't put my hands on, that you made the meringue early and you blended the meringue into the filling. Because I remember my filling being much, my I'm saying my filling, my pudding, being much lighter and fluffier. And I'm with you. This one was thick and dense. It tasted fine. Yeah. Um, but I like it. I like it. I like my desserts to feel like they're light and fluffy. <laughs> well, I wonder if maybe in the filling of the one you were eating, it had the whipping cream and then was still topped with yeah. the meringue. Yeah, that's yeah. possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but some really cool variations here for playing around with that Southern staple uh, banana pudding. And I'm I'm always on board for banana pudding. So I will I will be eating this for for many years to come. 
Yeah, I thought it was okay. It was kind of interesting. I, um, you know, I haven't made banana pudding in ages and ages. I ate it a lot growing up. And I was really excited about trying this recipe. And I thought, you know, it's going to remind me of those childhood family reunions or barbecues. And, you know, I tried it and I kind of thought to myself, yeah. It's okay. Um, you know, I it, I kind of judge something by am I tempted to keep it for myself or eat the whole thing, you know. Um, and instead, I was like, I was more than happy to stop after a couple of bites. So I thought maybe it's like one of those things, um, you know, sometimes nostalgia weighs real heavy in your mind. And so you think to yourself, maybe it's something that's good to kids, but actually as an adult, maybe not so good. So I tested it out and I gave it to my daughter, you know, with no information about it. I was just like, hey, try this out. She took one bite and she said, I don't like this. And I said, oh, okay, what don't you like? And she said, you know, I just think it's kind of um, mushy and soggy. So for her, it was a texture thing. Okay, right. And um, and I did serve it warm. And again, it didn't really soak into, like, I actually thought it, it could have been soggier, <laughs> honestly, because my wafers were still crisp. Okay, well, so this is interesting because as will not surprise you, of course, I put mine in the fridge to serve yeah. cold. <laughs> yeah. But so yours, even when it was – and so that's part of what my thought process was. I thought, well, maybe if I had served this warm, it would be more soaking into the to the wafers. Mm-hmm. But even when it was warm, you're saying that didn't happen. It didn't. And um, But then here's the funny thing. So I was kind of like, eh, you know, not sure I would make this again. My daughter took one bite. She was done. And then my husband, who does not have a sweet tooth, not into desserts, I said, honey, please taste this for me. I just need you to take one bite and tell me what you think. And he finished the serving. (laughs) And he was like, take this away from me. Oh, my gosh, it's so good. I can't believe how good it is. So we were talking about it later. And, you know, one, he thought it was two things that he loved about it. It was kind of hard for him to describe because he doesn't eat a lot of desserts. But he said one thing that he loved is that it wasn't too sweet. It's true. And And the meringue on top really helps with that because meringue is not super sweet. Yeah. And especially since my bananas weren't too ripe. You know how the the riper they get, the sweeter they get. So I think that was part of it. Um, He loved that you could actually taste the bananas and the fruit. He's a banana guy. So, you know, he just thought that was fabulous. And then he loves texture of crunch. Like he's always asking me to put crunch in something, whether it's, you know, a salad or even a cream soup. He's like, oh, this would be good with some croutons on top, you know. So he loved the crunchy. And and again, I don't think he'd had banana pudding before or had anything to kind of say to him like, oh, this is what I would expect from banana pudding. So he wasn't looking for that recreation of that childhood experience like I was. Um, And so, yeah, he gave it two thumbs up, thought it was fabulous, told me never to make it again because he was afraid he would eat the whole pan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. What do you know? Well, yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Elvis's favorite banana pudding. (laughs) But honestly, I might use some roasted bananas. I think that was a a, a big flavor win. So mm-hmm. I might I might make some modifications if the king would hopefully approve. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he would. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to talk next about our last recipe for our month of pudding and custards, and it's one of both Andrea and my favorites. It's a creme brulee, which you can hardly improve on, which really sets the bar for as far as I'm concerned, all puddings and custards, and is also a New Orleans dessert. Isn't that right, Andrea? Didn't it it develop in New Orleans? I'm not sure if that's where it developed, but I know it is on every 
New Orleans themed restaurant that I've ever been to on their menu. Um, and I picked the recipe from Tom Fitzmorris. Um, Tom Fitzmorris has had a daily radio show in New Orleans since 1975, oh. where he talks about food. And it was so funny when I was looking this up, I thought, you know, we've often talked about why we started preheated and what was our impetus and, you know, what made us want to do this. And I realized, oh my gosh, I grew up listening to a radio show of someone talking about food. So he and, was, wow, that's like your inspiration yeah, I, from your childhood. I know. I, I didn't even think about it un, until I was kind of looking into this a little bit more. Yeah. So he actually has um, a show on WWL, the radio station. But of course, these days, you know, you can stream anything. So if you go into um, iTunes or Stitcher, any of those things, it's called The Food Show with Tom Fitzmorris. And just to give you an idea of the kind of topics, I, I think it has limited appeal for people outside of New Orleans. But um for example, last Friday, you know, it's in the middle of Lent there. And of course, they have a very large Catholic population in New Orleans. Last Friday, the show was two and a half hours long. And he was talking to churches about the Friday night fish feast that they serve during Lent. Wow. Are they yeah. all very different? Is there like a lot of different menus? This sounds, I mean, I'm not from New Orleans. This sounds fascinating. <laughs> I mean, so this is fascinating to me. Yes. But, you know, I just wanted to prepare people who think like, um, you know, it's maybe just a little too granular. <laughs> so is he a restaurant person or is his, and did he created this recipe? Is Does he also run restaurants in New Orleans? No, he doesn't run restaurants. He runs a, I don't, I don't know if it's a magazine or a website or what, but it's called the New Orleans Menu. He has cookbooks. He does create recipes, but what he does a lot of is get recipes from the restaurants. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, but mainly what he does too is just write and talk about food. And so as I was thinking back on him, I remember how often my mom would pick me up from school and Tom would be on the radio. And we even had this kind of long running joke in our house growing up because I think I've mentioned before, in New Orleans, as you're eating, you're either talking about what you're eating or your next meal. (laughs) That is just a constant topic of conversation. And so, you know, this was probably 80% of the conversation in my house growing up. And my mom got to the point where her response almost always was, well, Tom says, you know, Tom says. And so that's one of our little jokes in our family, you know, we'll often say, well, what does Tom say? (laughs) You know, because he had an opinion on everything, whether it was, you know, the best place to get your Friday night Lenten fish fry or where you want to get your king cake or, you know, what kind of creme brulee do you want? And how is creme brulee? different from caramel custard. And, you know, he'll go in depth on those things. So I'm very excited to try out his recipe. We'll be posting that on our Facebook page, on Pinterest, on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. And we'd love it if you would bake along with us on this one. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to this. And I love your anecdote, too, because it ties into this this theme we've been talking about all month, which is that puddings and custards are a very comforting dessert and have lots of memories associated with them. So you just tied that up with the bow for us. Thank you, Andrea. You're welcome. <laughs> um, The other thing we wanted to talk about this week are what we call TNT recipes, which, as I learned, stands for tried and true. And I learned this from my friend Sonia. So Sonia is the um, person who shared the macaroon recipe with me. Oh, right. Yeah. I I remember when she went through a period of, I think it might have been a year, maybe even two, of experimenting with macaroons. So it was awesome because she would bring her experiments into the office. And, you know, she'd be like, oh, this 
this one cracked. And I was like, darn it, hand it over, you know. <laughs> oh, too bad for you. Oh, yeah. Shucks, better make another batch. Yeah, I don't think this is quite it yet, Sonia. Yeah, I better keep yeah. working on that one. I'm going to need some um, more tomorrow. I'm going to need some more. And so she had written me and said, I will send you my TNT recipe. And you know how sometimes you see an acronym and you think, I should know what that means, but I don't? Yes. And so I was hesitant to ask her what it meant. She's also a sewer. And so I thought to myself, maybe it has something to do with sewing. And I don't I don't do anything with sewing, so I don't know. You know, I know they have kind of their own language. Um, and I was afraid to look it up on Urban Dictionary because these days you just never know what you're going to find. And it's, it's just too scary well, sometimes. And then, of course, too. the obvious, just like dynamite, right? Like Wiley E. Coyote. <laughs> that's kind of what I was thinking. It was like, okay, just your super dynamite. And and finally, I broke down. I, I, I thought about it for a couple of days. I thought, this is really bugging me. I'm just going to ask her. And so I said, oh, I feel so silly, but what does TNT stand for? And she laughed. And she's, oh, my gosh, that's tried and true. And it turns out it is a sewing technique, oh, or not a technique, okay. a terminology. But it's something a lot of seamstresses will use, you know, their tried and true um, pattern, I guess, or a tip or something like that. And so she has sort of applied it to recipes in her life. And I thought, oh, what a perfect um, sort of description of a recipe that you, you know, pull out, you know it's going to work, and you know people are going to love it. So I thought we would talk about what our TNT recipes are. So Stefan, do you have any TNT recipes? I was laughing as I was putting together this list in our show notes. I have listed several. And at some point, I just stopped and I said, how many of these am I going to have time for? So... (laughs) I do. So here's some of my favorite TNTs. And I would also say that a TNT recipe is one that you either almost know by heart or do know by heart mm, because yeah. you hardly have to look at the recipe and it's just part of your um, part of your institutional knowledge. So my mm-hmm. favorite chocolate chip cookie falls into this category. It's a recipe from Martha Stewart from, gosh, probably about 15 years ago, and it's called Carolyn's Chocolate Chip Cookie. So it makes me happy because I always think of my friend Carolyn when I make them, oh, nice. but I just find them superior. It's just a recipe I don't need to I don't need to experiment with chocolate chip cookie recipes anymore. Like this is it for me, you know. Yeah. Um, it's a very moist and chewy cookie. You melt the butter with the brown sugar, which I think really adds to that texture. I love I it. Too. That's my best um, chocolate chip cookie. I also do every week. <laughs> I make Bon Appetit's chocolate chip banana muffins, and that mm-hmm. came courtesy of my sister-in-law, and she passed that on. And it's a great way to use up bananas, of course. I use some whole wheat flour in there, so it's a little bit on the healthier side. My kids love those for breakfast. I I do know that recipe by heart too. It's it's oh, okay. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to talk about Sheila Lukens has, um, which I dearly love Sheila Lukens. She has a great cookbook called uh, the USA Cookbook, and it has regional recipes and stories behind uh, different kinds of foods in all parts of our great country. And her zucchini bread recipe from that book is my go-to. I really love it because at the end, once the cake is still warm but out of the oven, you make a lemon glaze and you pour, you poke mm. the cake and then you pour the lemon glaze. And I'm a sucker for any kind of loaf mm. cake or bread that does that. And it um, just makes it kind of kind of sharp and tart. And uh, that's my go-to zucchini. So I have so many more. <laughs> so many more, Andrea. But in well, the interest of time, those are kind of three of, my, three of my very favorites. How about you? Well, 
I have I decided to narrow down just to one and um, I picked this one because it does meet all of that criteria. I make it all the time. I know the ingredients almost by heart. Every time I've served it, people like it. And I'll add a fourth thing, which is that you can make it ahead of time and freeze it and keep it in your freezer. I mean, right. There you, you know? go. So yep. it's like if someone calls and says, hey, I'm coming over, you know, or whatever, it's like I could actually serve dessert really on, you know, 20, 30 minutes notice, which yep. is kind of fun. So um, this recipe is called Molten Chocolate Mousse Cups. I kind of think of them oh. as that whole chocolate lava cake yes. situation. Yep. Um, and the way I learned this recipe, um, one year at an auction, I bought a cooking instructor coming to my house and hosting a party. Nice. And I then used that for my daughter's, I think it was either her ninth or her 10th birthday. So here's another reason this recipe is great. I know that an eight, nine, 10 year old girl can make it, or boy, of course, um, yeah. without a lot of adult supervision. So. You know it's a good one when that can happen. It's only got about five ingredients. It's, you know, bittersweet chocolate. It's butter. It's eggs. It's salt. And it's sugar. And you use the whisk attachment. You do it in your stand mixer. And then you put it into ramekins. And when the instructor came to our house and did it, we used um, sort of the traditional serving ramekins that I have, um, like almost pudding cups or that kind of thing. But after that, once I realized you could freeze them, I actually actually went out and bought like a 24 pack of those tiny mason jars. I think of them as jelly jars. They're the four ounce or the half a cup. Yeah. Didn't you make the champagne shooters in those? Yes. Back at New Year's? Okay. Yep. Got it. Mm -hmm. I know exactly. I yes. I did. So that's what I used. You also could use the eight ounce, the, but make sure you're using the wide mouth, obviously, because Good point. You know, yes. yeah, you want it to be able to just spread. Well, and you so want to get right in there. <laughs> Yeah, let's be honest. Right. And I also like a platform for my whipped cream or my ice cream because you yeah. can also put oh, that on top if one desires. So I will go ahead and make up a batch of these and then I'll just screw my lids on really tight on those little jars. I'll pop them into the freezer and then, you know, you just preheat your oven to 325 and you put them on a baking sheet. You bake them until they puff up and get cracked on the edges, but they're still wet in the center. It takes about half an hour. You let them cool for a couple of minutes. Like I said, you can throw on ice cream or whipped cream. I just love this dessert. I, I'm a huge chocolate fan, so I guess that's the only downside. You would have to like chocolate to enjoy this dessert, but it is a true TNT for me. I've never not had it turn out. And for something that's like a souffle and a puff, which can be scary, like I said, it's never not happened. And I love that it's a make-ahead. It seems like such an elegant make-ahead. When I think of things that I've made ahead, you know, it's like a, a quick bread or, you know, something kind of a little more pedestrian, I guess. And that just sounds so, mm -hmm. yeah, so pretty and elegant. And I just love the idea of, oh, I have unexpected guests. Well, let me pull out this chocolate molten lava cake from my freezer. You know? Well, and let me be honest. I don't have a lot of unexpected guests. I mean, most people don't just call and, and or, or, you know, just drop by. But, but I often have unexpected desire in my own life for dessert. So well, you're you going to have unexpected guests now. Your secret's out that you've got dessert ready at the... <laughs> It's a, it's a Tuesday at two and I'm feeling overwhelmed. I know. Chocolate lava cake. Hey, Andrea, can I come over for dessert? <laughs> so I will post this recipe on our website as well. Um, I, I think it's a really fun one to try out. And like I said, kids can do it. I know. I've seen them do it. So you um, can certainly try it yourself as well. And I think you'll have success with it. I love it. 
Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we kick off April and our month of breakfast bakes. Mostly sweet, but savory too. We'll talk muffins, coffee cake, biscuits, scones, and Quan Amin. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's like a croissant cinnamon roll. We'll also review our creme brulee because we feel it's not just dessert, but also a viable morning treat. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on iTunes, where we'd love it if you subscribed to the show and gave us a review, both of which will help others find us. So until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.